0: Good evening everybody, Um, today let's talk about an article from the New England Journal of Medicine. It's written by Bartsch et al. um, from the University Clinic of Heidelberg in Germany. This article starts with a short case presentation. A 45 year old healthy man wishes to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. This mountain is the highest mountain in Africa with a height of 5,895 meters. He wants to do it in a 5 day period starting at 1800 meters of height. A recent exercise test was normal. He runs 10K around 5 times a week and finished a marathon in less than 4 hours last year. He wants to know how he can prevent becoming ill at high altitude and whether training or sleeping under normal baric hypoxic conditions in the weeks before the ascent would be helpful. What would you advise? To solve this case, we need some background information on high altitude sickness. This is a general term for three different diseases. AMS, AIDS, written like H A C E, and AP. H-A-P-E. These three terms stand for acute mountain sickness, AMS. Then we have HACE or HACE, which is high altitude cerebral edema, and then HAPE is high altitude pulmonary edema. These three forms of high-altitude sickness are not strictly separated and there definitely definitely the a grain zone between them. If AMS is the preliminary stage of the other two, it's still controversial. Let's start with AMS, acute mountain sickness. AMS has one cardinal symptom, headache. This often goes together with anorexia, nausea, dizziness and sleep disturbances. AMS doesn't start immediately after the ascent, but symptoms come up six to twelve hours after a person ascends to two thousand five hundred meters. Around ten to twenty-five percent of unacclimatized persons who ascend to that height will develop these symptoms. Symptoms are usually mild at these altitudes. However, the chance to develop symptoms increases with climbing further and occurs in numbers up to 50-85% to of unacclimatized persons at heights of 4,500 to 5,500. This steep increase of incidence with climbing higher is important for all of us who might think we fall in the group of people who can deal with heights. AMS doesn't work in a way that if you can deal with hypoxia on 2,500 meters, that you are safe for higher heights. The exact pathophysiology remains obscure, but case studies and experiments have identified some clear risk factors. First of all, a history of AMS. If you once developed this disease, you are in the vulnerable group. Second, a fast descent. If you do more than 600 meters per day above a height of 2000 meters, this is dangerous. And a lack of previous acclimatization. If you are less than 5 days above 3000 meters in the preceding 2 months, you appear to have a higher risk. Less clear risk factors are female sex, an age lower than 46 years, and a history of migraine. Exercise may exacerbate acute mountain sickness, for sure if this exercise is intense and has anaerobic um, conditions. Also interesting is that a good physical fitness at sea level is not protective. This um, point is I think important in the patient we are guiding or talking about today. The good news is that AMS is self-limiting. And symptoms usually resolve within one to two days when appropriate measures are taken. More on the therapy later. HACE Hase, is standing for high-altitude cerebral edema and can present with symptoms of ataxia, decreased consciousness and usual mild fever. HACE usually developed a little later than AMS, and around 2 days at altitude above 4,000 meters. The prevalence is lower than AMS, around 0.5 to 1% among persons at 4,000 to 5,000 meters. Without appropriate treatment, coma may evolve rapidly and followed by death from brain herniation within 24 hours. If somebody develops headaches that are poorly responsive to NSAIDs and it's going along with vomiting, this can indicate that there is a progression from AMS to the cerebral edema. But be careful as the absence of headache or other symptoms of AMS does not rule out cerebral edema. MRI gave insights in the pathology as it shows vasogenic edema and microhemorrhages hemorrhages, that are located predominantly in the corpus callosum. The third variant of high-altitude sickness is HAPE, the pulmonary edema. The pathophysiology can be explained as the non-cardiogenic pulmonary edema caused by exaggerated hypoxic pulmonary vasoconstriction and abnormally high pulmonary artery pressure encapillate pressure. It often starts with a loss of exercise um, condition. So um, patients also have a dyspnea or a dry cough if they do the exercise. And this can progress to dyspnea at rest, cyanosis, a cough and pink frottish sputum. This condition develops 2 or more days after exposures to altitudes above 3,000 meters and is rare at lower heights. Risk factors are increased altitude and faster ascent, like we already said by the uh, previous two. For example, the incidence among persons with an unknown history of pulmonary edema Is 0.2 percent if they ascend to 4,500 meters in four days, with this tenfold increase to 2 percent if they ascend to 5,500 meters in seven days. The risk is increasing to six and 15 percent respectively if you do this ascent in one to two days. So not only height, but also the rate of ascent is very important here. A history of developing HAPE is also really important, as 60% of these patients develop new symptoms when they ascend to 4,500 meters in two days. Untreated, mortality is high with 50%. Now that we have described the different variants of high altitude sickness, we can start doing our first risk assessment in our patients. Our patient is clearly healthy and sporty. But the first thing we want to know is his history. Given that previous altitude illness is a strong predictor of recurrence, detailed information about the present history with respect to visits at high altitude areas, acclimatization before previous ascents, and maximum altitudes for climbing and sleeping, and of course rates of ascent and any Other altitude sickness should be obtained. Another question we can ask ourselves, and this is a little bit more uh, theoretical can we estimate this person's risk based on ventilation in exposure to hypoxic conditions? The question um, insinuates that if you put this patient in an experimental environment of hypoxia, can you maybe assess if this patient is an extra vulnerable to developing high-altitude sickness? The idea behind this hypothesis is that susceptible people don't react accurate on hypoxia by increasing their breathing rate, and this would cause their symptoms. And indeed, there seems to be some truth in this idea, because when we put people susceptible to AMS in an environment with low oxygen, or if we decrease their arterial oxygen saturation, or if they have exposure, acute exposure to an altitude of 3000 meters, we see that their reaction or their increase in ventilation is much lower. But again, all studies proving this point have cutoff values that can't be determined as there is an overlap between groups with and without symptoms. On top of that, is the concept not so useful in clinical practice as the hypoxic ventilatory response, which is very important and relates to how you react on hypoxic conditions, adds little to discrimination that we can already do based on risk factors like history of AMS or the rate of ascent. And what does measurement of pulmonary artery pressure loneliness. Can this help us predicting if patients will develop high altitude sickness? There is for sure a clear connection between pulmonary artery pressure and the development of APE, HPE. So it has been found that people with two previous episodes of pulmonary edema have abnormally high systolic pulmonary artery pressure under hypoxic conditions. But again, there is confusion as in other studies, because high hypoxic pulmonary artery pressure was detected in about 10% of study participants. But HPE only developed in 15% of these persons if they made a rapid ascent. For this reason, a bit, little bit like the last concept, Measurement of the pulmonary artery pressure under hypoxic conditions cannot be recommended. If we can't do a good estimation of his risk of developing acute mountain sickness, what can we recommend to our patient? What I think is very important to tell a patient is that his physical fitness will not protect him as there is no association between being in a good condition and being safe for developing AMS or HPE. His physical level will be helpful in estimating whether there is a sufficient reserve to cope with the expected loss of exercise capacity, because typically at high altitudes there is about 1% of loss of physical fitness for every 100 meter above the 1, meters. This leads to the recommendation of persons without athletic training that they should begin regular fitness, physical exercise several weeks to months before the planned ascent, particularly when they are planning to do outdoor activities at high altitudes. Prevention starts with keeping yourself to a slow rate of ascent. Guidelines for ascent to altitudes above 3000 meters recommend ascent rates of 300 to 500 meters per day and a day of rest for every 3 to 4 days. These guidelines should for sure be followed by persons doing their first ascent. If the planned ascent rate is faster, additional measures such as acclimatization strategies or prophylactic medications should be considered. If we look at some studies, what numbers can we get, uh, find? Pre-acclimatization and regular physical activity at altitudes above 3,000 meters in the weeks preceding a climb of 4, to 4,000 meters is associated with a reduced incidence of AMS. Staying for one week at 2,000 meters and then ascending to 4,000 meters we also reduce the incidence of AMS with 50%. But again, really proving this concept in a good study remains difficult. So in a double-blind placebo-controlled trial, it was found that repeated intermittent exposure to normal baric hypoxia for 60 to 90 minutes, or a continuous exposure to normal baric hypoxia which was equivalent to an altitude of 2,500 to 3,000 meters during 8 hours of sleep on 7 consecutive nights did not reduce the incidence of the severity or the severity of AMS. On the basis of this data, a recommended strategy to reduce the risk of AMS is to remain at an altitude between 2,000 to 3,000 meters for about a week, and to include day hiking or climbing at higher altitudes, after which you will return to your previous height. This should be done as close in time as possible to your planned expedition, since it's not known how quickly acclimatization diminishes over time. What can we say about prophylactic medication? There is some proof. 320 mg of acetylsalicylic acid, which is aspirin, taken 3 times at 4-hour intervals and starting 1 hour before your ascent seems to reduce the risk of a headache. 600 mg of ibuprofen, 3 times per day, starting a few hours before the ascent to altitude above 3,000 meters, also reduced headache. These short studies were not powered enough to show if there was an increased risk of gastrointestinal bleeding. Acetolamide, also known as Diamox, is recommended in patients with risk factors. In a large prospective observational study, the use of Diamox was associated with a 44 lower risk of severe high-altitude illness. A meta-analysis of randomized trials of various doses of acetolamide, diamox initiated before the ascent also showed a significant reduce of AMS. So the authors concluded that the lowest effective dose for prevention is 125 mg twice daily. This dose has been shown to be effective in reducing the incidence of AMS associated with rapid ascent from a baseline altitude of 1,600 to 4,300 meters, or during further ascent to 4,900 meters. These, of course, are a lot of numbers and also makes it very hard to give good um, advice to patients in real life. And again, there is controversy due to studies where AMS was found to be higher than 50% of persons who received Diamox at a dose of 250 milligrams twice per day during a rapid ascent of the Kilimanjaro? These weird results we also found in the study I discussed in the previous episode. So we don't really know from which dose Diamox is effective, and it is protective, or and if it would be protective for rapid ascents and higher final altitudes. Right now, it's recommended to start one day before the ascent and discontinue during the descent. Side effects are acral pruritus, polyuria, nausea, and tiredness. An alternative for Diamox, for example, if you develop um, symptoms, is dexamethasone at a dose of 4 milligrams two to three times per day. In a randomised placebo-controlled trial. Dexamethasone was associated with a significant reduction in the incidence and severity of AMS among persons who were to 2700 meters. Several smaller trials have also shown these results. People going higher, so to altitudes of 4300 meters. The magnitude of the effect of dexamethasone was similar to that of the Diamox. Since there appears to be a continuum from AMS to the cerebral edema, drugs that prevent the first condition will probably also reduce the risk of the second one. However, systematic data are lacking are lacking to confirm this theory. The risk of recurrence of pulmonary edema, H A P E can be reduced with the use of medication that lowers the high pulmonary artery pressure. Nifedipidine, Tadalafil, and dexamethasone appear to be similarly effective in lowering pulmonary artery pressure and reducing the incidence of pulmonary edema from 70 to 10%. Puffs which inhaled Salmetrol, which is a beta-2 agonist, was less effective and reduced the incidence of HAPE from 74% to 33%. As you hear these numbers, there is again a wide range of uh, results, which makes it again hard to interpret it and advise patients. Now that we have talked about prevention, let's focus on treatment. For mild AMS, Therapy is simple and consists of a day of rest, some NSA days for the headache, and anti emetic drugs for nausea. Data supporting the benefit of Diamex in persons who who have already developed AMS is very limited. If patients don't improve after a day of rest, you need to consider the descent from at least 500 to 1000 meters. If that is not possible, the following interventions can be done. You can administer dexamethasone at a dose of 4 to 8 mg every 6 hours. Also provide supplement, supplemental oxygen 2 to 4 liters per minute or treatment in a manual pressurized body-length hyperbaric bag. If patients have symptoms, of cerebral edema or pulmonary edema, the immediate descent is life-saving and very important. For HAPE specifically, as the main goal is to lower pulmonary artery pressure, there is a benefit of supplemental oxygen, pulmonary vasodilatators like nifedipine, and some report also the benefit of phosphodiesterase 5. Dexamethasone, hasn't been proven to be helpful in HAPE. So, what can we suggest our patient? We can tell him that his plan of climbing the Kilimanjaro five days involves a risk of 40% to develop AMS, and that it would be high enough when the severity of symptoms would be high enough to prevent him from reaching the peak. As well, he's vulnerable a small risk of developing pulmonary edema and cerebral edema. But we can also tell him that he can lower that risk by hiking at intermediate altitudes of 2000 to 3000 meters and wait there for acclimatization. He can also plan additional stops at the intermediate altitudes. Random clinical trials have shown no significant reduction in the incidence of AMS with athletic training in hypoxic conditions. We can only encourage regular endurance training since good aerobic performance will help to make mountaineering less um, strenuous for the body. Like i already mentioned it's for sure the anaerobic exercise which is not good and or we can say that even can increase the risk of developing high altitude sickness. If this is from a logistical perspective not possible, we would recommend that prophylaxis with diamox at a dose of 250 milligrams, 2 to 3 times per day, should be initiated at the mountain base after testing for the side effects of the drugs at home. However, the efficacy of Diamox for particularly high and fast climbs such as the one of our, our patient is playing is uncertain. It would be reason to provide the patient with dexamethasone for use as a rescue medication, for example during his descent if severe acute mountain sickness or cerebral edema develops. And the main thing you have to advise this patient is to not delay the descent if he is developing symptoms. Um, I think this is a very nice article from the New England, and um, if you would be interested to read it, I'll put a link in the show notes, and um, yeah, let's see if my next episode will be on neurosurgery, or again on uh, high altitude medicine, um, it will depend of my of my mood and of my interest, but um, thank you for listening, and have a good evening, bye-bye.